Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers. I'll be speaking on the subject of Christmas. My passage today is Luke chapter 1, verse 46 to 55. Now, I don't want to read all of that for time's sake, but I do want to give you a few verses, so let me read just a few of these verses, and then we'll begin the message today. Luke chapter 1, verse 46, the Word of God says, And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. Now that's not the end of the, end of, uh, the passage, but that's where only how far I want to read today. Well, in looking at this, you can't help but think, especially in this season of the year, here it is two or three days before Christmas, what is the Christmas spirit? I hear it so much. It's on television, it's in commercials, it's in the stores, it's where I got my hair cut the other day, it's everywhere. You have to, somewhere along the line, begin to think, if you're uh, a thinking individual, what, what really, what is the, the Christmas spirit? Just what is it? How can you define it? Because... I know in Florida there's a whole street that's uh, pretty much, I guess, the first mile of the street is shops and there's a mall there. And uh, they, they decorate just to the hilt. I mean, it is decorated immensely. A gorgeous place to go during the Christmas season just to see the lights and all on all the stores and the tops and the roofs and all the palm trees decorated with the white and the green, white at the bottom, green on the branches. It's just a beautiful sight. And I had a chance to talk to one of the decorators one day um, about two or three years ago and asked him, I said, why do y'all decorate so early? Because it, was, uh, it, was, it wasn't even Thanksgiving. I mean, it wasn't even Halloween yet. It was like, except it was right after Labor Day. They were putting up lights. And he said, well, the, the, the people in, in charge of all this want to, the people to get in the Christmas spirit. So they get all these lights put on so we can turn them on faster and that'll put people in the Christmas spirit. Well, I, you know, you, you think about that and you think, well, does that really put people in the Christmas spirit? And if it is and does, maybe I don't know what the Christmas spirit actually is. You know, to Scrooge, the Christmas spirit probably was a ghost. Uh, to stores, the Christmas spirit might be how much money comes in as profit for the day or for the month. The Christmas spirit can come in a bottle or uh, money or Christmas cards or attitudes. So how would we define the Christmas spirit? I suppose for some people, the Christmas spirit is expressed in a, in a card. I know that nowadays we don't get as many cards as uh, my wife and I used to get because now people can just send a quick text or an electronic greeting or an email, but they don't just really get out and send cards anymore. Uh, I know that in, in 19... Uh, uh, in, in 2001, I, I read a survey that the Christmas spirit is expressed in cards that conveys uh, a sentiment of, of Christmas. And 95, it said 95% of all Americans will be involved in spending uh, $5 million plus just on cards that express a greeting or a holiday greeting during the holidays. And so... We, we look at that and we think, gosh, I, I really don't know what the Christmas spirit is. For some people, the Christmas spirit is an attitude of happiness. Uh, you know, if you're not happy, then perhaps you don't have the Christmas spirit. 
Uh, for many, however, the Christmas spirit is uh, it, it can be totally different. I know I've talked to several people lately, and they say that Christmas or holidays are terrible because they lost a loved one during that particular time in another year. And so every time that holiday rolls around, they get depressed. And Christmas is a lot like that. Uh, as one poet put it, it's a very personal expression expression of pain. Christmas is a bitter day for mothers uh, who are poor. Uh, I know that and when I read this, I thought, well, my mother had dreaded Christmas. Here she was uh, a single parent, had four sons to take care of. And Christmas for her all year was a worry because she was trapped like most are in the thinking they've got to, she's got to buy gifts and toys and all this stuff for her kids, or they'll be disappointed. And parents don't want their kids disappointed. We spend thousands of dollars making sure our kids are not disappointed. And so, is that the Christmas spirit? Is that really what it's all about, is gifts? I mean, when I look back at a child, my childhood, and I think, man, Christmas was always fun. We couldn't wait for Christmas to get here. Uh, and it was just a different kind of thing. But mostly, though, I guess the Christmas spirit is giving presents. That's what most people would agree on. If the if the mall or or or, or the uh, internet is any any sign of that, billions of dollars worth of of, uh, of of gifts and and purchases are being made all the time. Uh, and, and yeah, I know we don't have brick and mortar stores as much anymore because people can uh, get on Amazon and order something so easy sent to their house. But still, there's millions of dollars being spent every year during this time of year. In fact, many of the stores, many industries think that this is the time, if they're going to make it all year, they've got to make it during Christmas. So, again, what is the Christmas spirit? Is it shopping? Is it, uh, well, let me tell you this. I wanted to go uh, with somebody the other day. They mentioned, let's go shopping. I said, oh, gosh, I, I really don't want to go shopping. And their first response out of their mouth was, wow, are you a Scrooge? And it's like, really? That's what it means? You're, you're, you're going to get called the name Scrooge if you don't really want to go shopping? Well, not really, but for some it might be. So I have to ask myself again, what is the true spirit of Christmas? Is it fun? Is it fellowship? Is it giving? What is it? Well, as always, you know, if we're going to talk about Christmas, and most people would at least admit that Christmas should be involving Christ and the the, the birth of Jesus Christ and the, the manger scene, uh, what would it be if we could go to the Bible and we could look it up, what would we find as far as the Christmas spirit? Well, if you look up Christmas, you're not going to find anything. But if you look up the birth of Christ, you can find a lot. And Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 is filled with illustrations if you just know how to look for them. For example, Luke chapter 1 verse 41, Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting and the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? That was Elizabeth's reaction, and that conveys the spirit of Christmas. If I can just bring in uh, the Christmas spirit into that context, even though that's not what the Christmas spirit is, but yet that might convey the excitement that there was over the birth of this baby Jesus. Uh, so, let's look at another illustration. In fact, there's dozens here. Uh, Zacharias, her husband, 
uh, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Zacharias' reaction. And that might tell us something of the spirit of Christmas. And I could go on and on with people. You look at Luke, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 13, and you find the, the angels. Suddenly to the shepherds they appeared, the angels uh, who, made orig- who, who had made the original announcement, a multitude of heavenly hosts, here's what it says, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men and uh, with whom he is pleased. Well, that was the angel's response to the whole event, and the whole event meaning the birth of Christ. It's an announcement to the shepherds that uh, a Savior has been born, and that's the response of the angels, is one of praising. Uh, the angel's response to this whole thing is, is like the others. Down in verse 20, we get the shepherd's response. It says, and the shepherds went back, here it is, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as they had been told. So, does this convey the spirit of Christmas? If we were to borrow the the term for today and put it into the scriptures and call that a Christmas event, which is the birth of Christ, would that convey the Christmas spirit? Well, let's just keep going. Down in verse 25, we meet another unique individual attending the period of the birth of Christ, Simeon. Simeon had the same kind of response. Uh, And then you see the Holy Spirit came upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't see death till he had seen the Lord Jesus Christ. And he came in the spirit of the temple and when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out the custom of that time, which would have been circumcision, then he took him in his arms, blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost, uh, you've, you've let me see, depart, let me depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen here it is, your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of the revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. Well, that was another response. Man, well, all one of praise and thanksgiving. And then if you were to go to verse 36, you find the same response from Anna. And so you have Elizabeth, Zacharias, uh, the angels, the shepherds, Simeon, and then Anna. And they all have one word that would be describing their reaction during the announcement or the hearing of this. And that is worship. The spirit of Christmas in all those participants, or we should say, keep it biblical and keep it accurate, the spirit of the birth of Christ announcement or the reaction to his birth is one word and it's called worship. And that's because it's all centered around praise and thanksgiving and blessing and glory to God. In one word, you could say every bit of that is contained in the word worship. So Matthew 2, 2, uh, just so we don't leave out some important folks, Matthew 2, 2 tells us uh, that there is a, another person here that, that needs to be brought into this. And, you know, we don't want to leave him out. The wise men who came from the east said, We have come to worship him. Even wicked Herod picked up on the same event. And, of course, he wasn't being honest in his evaluation because he just was saying what everybody else said. But even he said it. Uh, Where is he that I may come and worship him also? Meaning that he pretty much was looking at, well, the reaction to the birth of Christ must be worship. 
So I want to worship him too. Of course, he was just trying to find out where he was so he could kill him. So then the supreme attitude of Christmas, I guess you could say, would pretty much have to be worship. That is the spirit of Christmas. And it is the, the, the time of worship for Christians as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. During this time that the world calls Christmas, we know that they are, at least some of them are thinking, well, it is the birth of Christ. And even though it's not per- particularly the time of year Jesus was really born, we put the birth of Christ into this date, December 25th, and we call it Christmas. So, Our attitude on that is based on the attitude of what we see in the scriptures of reaction to the birth of Christ. Now, I know realistically our nation, our culture, our society is never going to embrace this. Never. It's going to be up to the individual believers, Christians, to embrace this. For them to see the true meaning of Christmas is not in the giving of the gifts. That can be as a result of your attitude in your heart overflowing and you just want to do something, that's fine. But are we going to really see the true meaning of this and what should this Christmas spirit be? Well, according to this, it should be worship. A definition then of worship that I just want to give you just so we can have one. Worship, and this will just be a brief definition, is an attitude. It is a spirit. It is something that happens on the inside of us. It is an attitude of the heart. And and I think that's key. What happens on the inside, in the heart, is what we are calling worship. That is the spirit of excitement or praise or thanksgiving. So it is filled with wonder and gratitude towards what God has done. Uh, that is the thought here. It's not of personal needs or blessings. It is all centered around what God has done. And then when you come to that, then you're coming into a state or a spirit of worship. It's the most selfless thing we do is to not acknowledge us. Don't bring us into the picture. Bring God into the picture and give him the praise and the thanksgiving. One hymn writer puts it this way, It is to be lost in the wonder, love, and praise. It is to be so grateful, so filled with wonder at what God has done, that we lose ourselves in adoring worship, adoring praise. And what better time for this than Christmas when we focus on the very giving of Christ, who is our Savior. And I think that would be my point today. Is it during this Christmas season... Are we stressed? And and I can say that from a life of experience, living with my mother. I saw the most stressful time of the year was Christmas, where she worried about giving gifts to us, the children. And man, I look at that, and I have a, a bit of guilt, because, you know, I'm sure I was right there with the rest of my brothers, my mother, I want this, I want this, can I have this? I'm, that's my whole thing. If I don't get this, I'm going to be sick or whatever. You know how kids are. We were all kids. And so that puts pressure on the parents, especially when my mother was a single mother. and You know, there wasn't any extra money in the home. But I never thought about that. All I thought about was selfish, what I wanted. Give me this, give me that. But you know, to really solidify this, I want, I want to look at the, the, the passage that I just read. It's called the Magnificent, or the Magnificent uh, of, of what Mary actually said and did. 
and her response to this. And Mary is a person who is the closest person in all of the human realm to Jesus, who had an intimacy with him that no other person ever knew. No one person most directly touched by his birth, none other than his mother, Mary. So, what was her reaction? Well, her reaction is recorded here in the Scriptures in verses 46 to 55, and that is what we're calling the Magnificent or the Magnificent, depending on how you want to say it. It's her psalm of praise to God for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to look at a few elements of it so that we can just get a, just a little picture. It's a hymn, and it's talking about the Incarnation. It's a hymn or a song that is the worship song. Mary knew that she was to be the mother of the Son of God. Imagine the impact of that upon a young teenage girl. That would be unbelievable. Uh, in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is she's being told. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the Holy Offspring shall be called the Son of God. How do you handle that? How do you take that news and, and wrestle with that? And how do you tell people? Well, especially your fiancé, your soon-to-be husband. How would she do that? Elizabeth even called her the mother of my Lord, so she burst forth in the only appropriate response, and that response can be summed up in the same one word, worship. Now, in, in some churches, some, denom- some are religions, the, they, they take this and they, they distort it, they twist it. They read more into what Mary is than what the Bible says Mary is or who Mary is. And in fact, in the case she is the mother of Jesus Christ who is God, that's true. But understand it this way, she is the mother of God, not in the sense that Jesus derived any divine nature from her. He did not. But he only in the sense that he derived his human nature from her. She bore the human being who was God incarnate. That's it. Unfortunately, many, and some of the biggest religion here in in the United States and around the world, have perverted that reality in developing what is called worship of Mary as somehow contributing to the divinity of Jesus Christ. Though she contributed to that, they say. That has become historically a major separation between basically the Roman Catholic Church and Protestantism. Well, you say, how could that be? How could people believe this? Well, they do believe it. I have had people sit and discuss this with me who are strong believers that they are to worship Mary, who go to active, they're active in the church that they go to and worship Mary. For example, Roman Catholicism all over the world is, is basically involved in Mary worship. Largely, it's devoted to worshiping Mary. That's right, Mary, the mother of Jesus. You think nobody would do that. Well, yes, they do. If you don't know that and understand that, then you are most naive. In fact, in many cases, you'll find Jesus is somewhat incidental. Mary is the main figure, and that is because the Roman Catholic Church has decreed the following doctrines as having always been true of Mary. And here's what they say. This true of Mary. This is what the Holy, I mean, the, the Roman Catholic Church teaches. The Immaculate Conception of Mary. And that does not mean that she immaculately conceived Jesus Christ. No, it means that she was immaculately conceived by her mother. And I've told a gentleman this as I sat in his truck one day because he was asking me. And he said, wow, I, I never thought that. I never believed that. 
I always believed that it was it was speaking of the virgin birth by Mary uh, giving birth to Jesus. And I said, no, that's not what the Immaculate Conception is. That's Mary being conceived, not Christ. It means she was immaculately conceived by her mother, thus making Mary free from original sin. Really? He said, I said, that's exactly right. The Immaculate Conception has not to do with the birth of Christ. It has to do with the birth of Mary. The second doctrine that the Roman Catholic Church teaches us, has decreed, is the sinlessness of Mary, that she lived her entire life and never sinned. Well, you know, I, you can figure that one out. You know good and well that's not doctrine, and, and Bible doctrine. The third doctrine is the uh, perpetual virginity of Mary. That is, that she never knew a man all her life long. She was perpetual virgin, thus preserving in, in their system of something singular purity, untouched character of Mary, all just to elevate Mary. That's all that is. That's not true. None of it. Fourth, the Roman Catholic Church has determined a doctrine that they call the assumption of Mary or bodily ascension of Mary into heaven. Well, we know that's not true either. Fifth, the Roman Catholic Church teaches that when Mary assumed her place in heaven, when she ascended into heaven, she was coronated as the queen of heaven, a position of sovereignty and a position of authority. And in all honesty, in, the, in, the, in the, that system of religion, Jesus himself is put in a position on occasion to be appealing to his sovereign mother. Now, I have actually talked to people who were strong into the Roman Catholic Church, and they said to me, no, we don't teach that. That would be foolish. And so one gentleman told me that, and I said, well, I, I, I challenge you to check it out. He said, how would I check it out? I said, ask your priest. Just simply ask him and see if he will directly answer your question. And we'll see. So the church came up with, with, the church came up with these doctrines. They didn't take them out of the scriptures. The Immaculate Conception of Mary, that is, she's free from original sin. Her sinless throughout her life, perpetual virginity, her bodily assumption into heaven, coronated as queen of heaven, and the result <coughs> of that concocted theology is, the, is what some people would call a Mary cult, that is, a worship of Mary. Idols and shrines to Mary are all over the world. I, I've been in many restaurants and there's uh, uh, idols of Mary hanging on the, the walls. And so it's in homes and rooms and restaurants and hotels and businesses, highways. Mary is worshipped. I live in, in uh, uh, St. Louis County, uh, uh, Wildwood, Missouri. And there is, there is a retreat center, huge retreat center, not far from another retreat center. And both of them are Marianist churches. That means the worship of Mary churches. And so it becomes interesting that people would focus in on the worship of Mary and not the worship of Christ. And you may not know this, but Rome has even said that Gabriel came and announced to Mary, like, I, like we've looked at, that she would bear the, the Lord, that she would bear the Son of the Most High, and that she would bear the Savior. The angel, basically, when, he, when Gabriel came, he was announcing to Mary, but he really wasn't in an announcement. The angel was only asking if this could happen. He was submitting to her authority. He was asking permission. Now, the Catholic Church teaches that. You say, well, how could they do that? 
Listen, I could give you doctrine after doctrine after doctrine that you're probably familiar with from many other churches that teach crazy things. We have become a society that we don't go to the Scriptures and check it out. We don't know what the Bible says. If someone says it's in the Bible, we believe it. And so we have to be careful with this. And that's why I wanted to present this today. Uh, Not to slam a religion. That's not what I'm doing. I'm presenting just the facts about Mary's response to the announcement of the birth of Christ. Her response was was a humility. Her response was was really unbelievable. It wasn't like it's being portrayed in so many uh, churches. This is a hymn. Mary is not worshipped here. This is not something showing that Mary is worshipped. This is something showing that Mary is a worshiper. It's in a hymn of worship from Mary to God. It's not from anybody else to Mary. It's from Mary to God, and it is such a beautiful and such a magnificence that it can be looked at as, a, as many would say, a diamond with many facets and flashing brilliance on many different fronts. And maybe something uh, we could do sometime would be to take that and just break it apart. I don't have time to do that here. So here's a worshiper, Mary. But that's also what we're saying is the Christmas spirit, isn't it? Here is Christmas. Here is a worshiper. If I may borrow a word, a Christmas worshiper, here is Mary. And she teaches us how to worship. The first thing I want to just look at is under other this uh, magnificent is, is point one. And point one is, 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 is very good. It's just one little thing to bring out of this. And that is a Christmas worshiper, point one, we see in her that there is an attitude of worship. We see her and we look at it, we see, we, we can't help but notice the attitude that she has of worship. And if you look at the attitude of worship, we're going to see in the first verse and into the second verse, it says this, Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. In just those first two, and then in the third verse of the psalm, verse 46 and verse 47, and just in the first line of verse 48, we get the attitude of worship. I'm going to give it to you in four comments. There's four comments about worship dealing with the attitude of worship. And I'm only giving you this because it's Christmas, and this is an exhortation, is a challenge to, to maybe pray that God develop these in us. Number one, worship is eternal. My soul exalts in the Lord. That's something that happens on the inside. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And the terms soul and spirit, which are, by the way, synonyms, and they speak of the inner person. And the reason that you have these two of them is not because of a literary element of it or something because of the, the grammar, but it's because of the all-encompassing element of it. She is simply summing up her whole inner being. And many would say, in order to do that, you would need to say, my soul and my spirit. So she is saying that worship rises from the inside. It's not something that can be stimulated from the outside. It's not a performance. It's not a set of words or a set of actions. It becomes that. But it is something that is moral and mental and emotional. It is in the mind and the will and the emotion. It sums up the whole inner being of the person. So we can say just by looking at the first line of this magnificent that worship comes from the inside. It's almost like you could say, well, it bubbles up and bubbles over. 
as one New Testament word would identify it. It's not coming to church. It's not singing a hymn alone. It's not reading the words in the Bible, hearing a sermon. It's not just giving something in the offering. It's not just carrying out a ritual at the Lord's table. Those are all could be the result of it. It is the inner heart of someone who's grateful and thankful. And the result of that can be giving and singing and praising and worshiping. It's an an internal thing. And I can't get too far on that, but the second thing I want you to see is worship is intense. It's intense. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And you read that in English, and maybe it doesn't grab you, but the word exalts or magnifies uh, is, is a Greek word that it means mega. And that is the Greek word that's often translated over into English when we want to say something is bigger than normal, that it's larger than normal or louder. Uh, we see it maybe using a speaker like a megaphone. It means more bass than you need to care or to listen to. It's bigger. It's mega. Something that is a mega thing. It just takes the word large. And what she is doing here is not just exalting, but she's giving an expression that is saying it's bigger than that. It's literally the word means to swell or to cause to grow. Or you can actually use it as a musical term to, for crescendo. It's as if starting at one point and extending and becoming larger and larger and larger. And the word rejoices. There could be a number of words that we use for the Greek. The word chosen is the word that means overjoyed and one that speaks about the unspeakable joy. It's even referred to in some uses as a loud kind of joy. So, You have two components of true worship. It's eternal, and it rises out of the heart, comprehends. It rises from what our mind understands. That's why we say you must read the Word of God because it's affecting the mind, and it's truth. True worship is always going to be based on truth, and her emotions are very much involved here. And so I know that we're not going to be able to explain all of this. I want to head to number three. Worship is habitual. The third thing about this praise that she receives, she says, my soul exalts or magnifies, and it means continuous action. It's in the present tense. It isn't that it's just related to an event, and it's like that now, but it won't be like that in a moment because the event will be over. That's that's exactly what it's not doing. It's in a, a state of continual presence, a present tense that goes on and on. It isn't just that you rejoiced when you were saved. It isn't that you started rejoicing then and it, it's that it will never stop. Fluctuating circumstances do, but not the rejoicing in the heart. They don't affect it. You don't have anything to do with it. It just flows uninterrupted. And this can be the spirit of Christmas and the spirit of attitude as we enter into that, that habitual form of worship. But number four is humble. It's humble. It's humble. And that leads me to, to, to just speak about this. Number four, the attitude of worship is internal, intense, habitual, and humble. True worship only comes from a humble heart. It really does. It can't be filled with pride. Only from humility and a humble heart. And what is a humble heart? Well, a humble heart is a heart that has no thought for itself. No thought for itself. A selfish thing. We don't look at us. We look at Christ. That's why we always say the object of our our worship, 
the object of our prayers has to be Jesus Christ. It can't be on the answer as the object of your prayer. It's got to be on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You see, pride is the worship of self. And that's what it is. And it competes with God. And if you're not thankful, it's not because God hasn't fulfilled his promise. It's because your comfort level isn't where you want it. And that's because you're focused on you. Man, I have so many times where I am the focus. Where pride has interrupted. Or where flesh has taken over and reigned. And not the spirit of of Christ. Not the true spirit. I just want to remind you of this because it is the Christmas season. Just remember this. Pride remembers all wrongs done to it. Pride always wants to strike back when it's offended. Pride always does these things. Pride also wants to retaliate. It's not filled with praise because it's fixed itself on the circumstances of life. Humility cares nothing for those. Humility isn't going around all the time beating on your chest, bemoaning your iniquity, and that's a component of it. Humility is being so focused on God that what may or may not be yours is a little consequence. You don't focus on you. You're not the issue. And I think that's what I would like to say for this Christmas season. As you think through the season and you get caught up in the hustle and the bustle of shopping, remember, it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about whether you're going to give a gift because uh, your boss gave you a gift. Now you're concerned about whether you're to give him one. Or your your brother gave you one. You weren't going to give him one. Now you got to give him one because he gave you one. How foolish. Maybe we could set aside or go ahead and live that if you want to. Just get involved in that. But separate it from Christmas. Bring in the Christmas spirit, which is an attitude of worship, into this Christmas season. And I promise you this. You'll have the best Christmas ever. I promise you that. Thank you for joining me today. Again, this has been William Rogers bringing just a brief devotion on the subject of Christmas and the Christmas spirit. Thank you for joining me today.